creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to Creative Pep Talk, a weekly podcast companion for your creative journey. I'm Annie J. Pizza, I'm a New York Times bestselling author and illustrator, and I will be your guide on this creative expedition. Let's go. One question that plagues me often is whether I'm a natural or not creatively. My dad jokingly says this phrase a lot in conversation, like when he's hanging out with the grandkids, his grandkids, my kids, or my brother's kids, and they're just really being themselves. I might be like, oh man, my nephew is so funny. And he'll be like, yeah, he's a natural. And it's a funny comment in everyday life, but as a creator, this is an idea and a mindset that has ate away at me at different times in my creative journey. Like, am I a natural illustrator or not? Am I a natural writer? Am I naturally a good storyteller or am I naturally funny or whatever it is? This is a question. This is a type of mindset, a fixed mindset that has really thrown me off course a bunch of times. Today on the show, we have Mira Lee Patel, and I feel like kind of a kindred creator with Mira because she's an illustrator that is more comfortable with words. In this episode, we explore why not being a so-called natural can actually be a superpower. And I and I really believe that. And I and I loved where this conversation went on this topic and we get into a whole bunch of other super fun juicy stuff and i could have talked to mira forever and i hope she comes back on the show you can check out mira's work at miraleepatel.substack.com and subscribe to her um, newsletter there and also miraleepatel.com for her portfolio you're gonna love mira and her amazing words and art and i hope that you love this chat as much as i did This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. 
Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him, like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, AnnieJPizza.com, if you want to see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. You do so many different things, books, you did an MFA. You do art for kids now, Substack, And I wondered if you think of yourself primarily as like an illustrator, a writer, or just an exhausted human. <laughs> that's that's what, is that the main way that you identify? Because I, I feel like that sometimes. Um, but you're doing so many things. Like, what, how do you think of yourself? I've always, I have a writer brain, um, mm. to be honest. So... I think in words, language is kind of how I process. And so people always ask me, you know, for my work that pairs writing and illustration, what comes first? And it's always the words because the words are how I think. But when I went to get my MSA, um, it's an it's a author illustrator program. It's for people who mm. are invested in the combination of both. And that is why the program drew itself to me, to me, because I have always felt that I need to pick a lane. Yeah. If I could just focus, at, you know, on being a writer, I would move faster. I would be more successful. I would be, you know, most importantly, I would be a better writer um, if I could just let go of the illustration part or vice versa. If I could just give myself to the art, then I could excel in that area and be able to truly you know, speak through visuals in the way that I've always wanted. Mm. Um, but I've always been able to, unable to let go. I don't know how to detach the two from each other or how to extract one from myself. Um, and so the two years I did spend in the MFA program, I worked very hard to develop um, a mode of thinking as an illustrator, how to process through drawings and it does not come natural to me um and it's it's tough to i don't know if you ever feel that way but it's tough to admit that because right like once you have the label of artist or writer i think the world expects that work to come easy to you. Yeah. And I, um, I actually, uh, I wanted to instantly just jump in and be like, I am exactly the same in that particular way. And I've actually given this line of thinking a lot of thought. I don't have any conclusions, but I find it very peculiar and, and fascinating because I think my wife thinks in pictures. She's a visual thinker Mm -hmm. and she is a fine artist, but I think, Mm -hmm. um, in some ways that is what makes her a better writer. 
And I'm the opposite in that I think completely in words. There's often multiple kind of monologues going on in my head that are competing. Right. I just cannot stop that those words from coming. Right. But I but I think that there's something about like the art is the translation of the words to pictures for me. I think what's interesting about that and I and hearing you talk about it is that I think it's contrary to the narrative of ease or giftedness. Um, and maybe yeah. it's not, I don't know. I don't know if it's true or I don't know what the right answer is, but that's kind of where I've landed is that the art is the translation. And there's something that that translation does for me as a person, like trying to put it into pictures. I this, agree with you. I have, I know that, okay. Can I be the interviewer for a section? Hey, for a second? Let's just Can chat. I, <laughs> do you find that in that translation, you're discovering alternate perspectives, maybe ones that didn't exist when your philosophy was just in words. Yes, 100%. Actually, like, and 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 uh, and I love that you, I, I'm not going to let you completely flip this interview around. <laughs> uh, but I, but I was, um, by the end of the episode, I was going to try something new that I've been wanting to try with fellow artists, which is kind of, both of us bringing to table th to the table something that we don't have worked out and trying to like work it out in real time because I've just been really attracted to conversations like that where it's not so much like here's what I know but two people like sharing and comparing notes so I I love yeah. I love yeah. I love that um, but I, yes I think that that's and actually one of the things that really happened for me was like often I would make an episode of the podcast where I had a story that I told with an analogy and a point that I was trying to make. And then when I would go, sometimes I would go make a comic out of it after I had released the episode. And then I would make the comic and I'd be like, oh, this is the point. This is so much yeah. better or clearer. And it only came by like forcing myself to translate it. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And I empathize with that. And I think that is um, the beauty, that is the beauty of, you know, not to say of us, but of people who do think in multiple languages mm. that you can extricate so many angles and perspectives of the same story. There are so many hundreds of stories within that one moment. And I think that is what I'm attracted to. That is why I try so very hard to draw. It does not come natural to me, but I want to be able to show the different faces of one moment. And that is what I'm working towards. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, have you ever heard, I, I thought that I had come up with this, but then later my picture book editor sent me a link to this older kind of illustration textbook. And it was, it's called, I think it's called writing with pictures. And that was, that's the definition I like most for illustration. Have you ever heard that definition writing with pictures? I don't think so. No. Yeah. I wanted to run that by you because, um, being so squarely between those two worlds, I don't often get to talk to somebody that's as kind of 
stuck in between those or, or like kind sure. of reaching to both of those. Um, right. so I wanted to run that by you because as I was diving into your world and doing a little extra research, I had a jaw dropping moment looking at your Instagram. I clicked an image to get a closer look of a poster you'd done. I think it was like a life is good thing. And I noticed that you have a tattoo from my all time favorite book, which is the little prince. And, uh, and I freaking, I just, I thought that was so cool, but I bring it up because I think that, um, can you tell people what that is before I just lose the context? Sure. I, so one of my also all time favorite pieces of work ever, um, the little prince and I have a tattoo of an elephant inside a boa constrictor and, Underneath it, in French, it says, one never knows. Mm. And to me, it is a lesson in humility, a lesson in appearances can be deceiving, and most importantly, a lesson in retaining the child, the imagination, um, in in learning how to really see. You know, we're talking about writing and drawing. And for me, drawing, I try to keep in mind I'm learning how to see, how to observe, um, how to not immediately dismiss because our brain wants to do that. It wants to understand what's in front of us and mine at least in order to do that dismisses so many possibilities. And so that tattoo for me is, you know, to stop doing that. Don't dismiss the possibilities, you know, see, see what's there, wonder what's there, kind of encouraging me to think outside the box and think the way a child does, which is completely open to possibility. Uh, absolutely. And, um, I, I, I kind of, I'm starting out, uh, just to kind of, um, uh, I don't know, encourage you or something or give you some clarity, starting out really wide with all kinds of different threads, hopefully circling in on uh, a a more coherent picture, but I'm kind of throwing out a bunch of curiosities. That's just my encouragement. Like, well, don't, don't worry. I know it's kind of chaotic right now. Um, but, uh, (laughs) but, but all these, uh, all these pieces between writing, illustrating what you're gifted at, what you struggle with, like how those things work in tandem to create flow, all that kind of stuff is kind of where I'm, what I'm getting at. But could you, for people that don't know that book or that illustration, can you set up what that is? Sure. So the book, um, the book begins with um, the narrator kind of saying, "I not the problem with adults, but kind of what a grown up loses as they grow and they learn to be in the world." And so the little prince. The li- <laughs> I hope I'm not going to mess this up. (laughs) I haven't read it for quite a while, so, you know, I can't correct you anyway. Yeah, the little prince says, draw me a fat. Oh, my gosh. Andy, I'm going to mess with that. Hey, let me, I'll I'll chime in with what I remember, but I know you already had the heart of it right, which is that this is the drawing that you have is the inside of a boa constrictor that is that has an elephant in it 
And Inside in, it, right. Yeah. And at the beginning of the book, he does a drawing that is the outside of the boa constrictor um, with the elephant right. inside. And all the adults think it's a hat. And he's it's like, a hat. Yeah. no. <laughs> uh, and so he does he this drawing to be like, this is what's in it. And he just got frustrated that like basically uh, grownups only see the surface level. And that's where yeah. his drawing career yeah. ended. They're very literal. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And I and I love that tattoo and I love this. Um, the reason I wanted to bring it up was because as someone who loves art and illustration and all that, um, I think one of the things that pushed me into writing or leaning heavily on writing was that an illustration can contain so many things, but the only way for anybody to encounter them is to um, is for them to spend time with it and and look behind the surface and uh, and dig into it. And as I was kind of going through you you know all this writing that you've done, and then also knowing that you're in a season where you've been really into art and going into art for children and having this whole moment, I just wondered if, if that felt relevant to you, like the, the, the frustration of people expecting all of this writing and all of this meaning on the surface versus wanting to create more depth by embedding it in pictures or stories like that's a big like push and pull that I get frustrated with all the time that is a really big push and pull I would say I don't I think I used to feel trapped by the career I've built Mm. and when I say used to I mean you know within the last few years I consider myself to be incredibly lucky to have built a career where I support myself and my family with my creative work. Um, It took a really, really long time for me to be able to leave my day job. It took an even longer time for me to feel any sort of trust in myself and my ability to, to actually believe in myself and have that confidence that whatever life throws at me, I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. Um, and so when I arrived, you know, it was, I had my first child, Nadi, three years ago, almost exactly three years ago. And when I experienced that sudden loss of time and also that sudden loss of identity, it was such an immediate reworking. And it wasn't, oh, I knew this new person. It was, who am I? Like, I don't even feel like a person and I don't remember the person I was. That person is really far away, but is somebody new even here? And who is that person? And in kind of, you know, doing that excavating, not because I wanted to, but because I was forced to, I, that is when I discovered, you know, you have always, your heart has always sat in children's literature, you, the books and the writers and the artists that you admire and that you turn to in moments of needing comfort or wisdom 
or grief. Like it, they're all in the children in the world of children's literature. And the reason I had not pursued that genre in my in my work, in my books, is because I didn't think I had it. I didn't have what it takes. And so that really forced me to think and to be straight with myself and say, hey, if this is important to you, then you've got a lot a lot to learn. You've got a lot to work work on. And as as at home as you feel with words, you're gonna have to learn how to feel at home with pictures because that is half is not more of what it takes to make a beautiful, introspective and long lasting book for children and for their adults. Well, I wanted to tell you something that when I was diving back into your work, I was looking through your Instagram and I came across the image that you did that was an illustrated poem that has a giant bird on it and then like a little figure. Do you know the one that I'm talking about? Is it the poem about November? Uh, I'm not sure because it was a. It said it's. Oh, the giant I, bird. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yes, I have that with me. Yeah, I just wanted to tell you that when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, I had saved that as like just an incredible children's book illustration, like something that I oh just thought gosh. was inc- incredibly inspiring, and I didn't realize that you had made it. Also, so when I saw it, I was like, what? I was like, that's the same person? And I was like, oh, man. And and then as I'm like digging in and hearing that you're making that pivot and that, you know, it's been a big undertaking that's been kind of overwhelming, I thought, oh, my gosh, I I have to tell her, like, you got it. Like, that that thing uh, I just thought was incredible. And it definitely feels like it comes from a place of – natural like expression. So I I just wanted to share that. I don't have a question about it. I just wanted you to know that that was my experience. Thank you. That means a great deal to me. Um, and I, I do feel like that work, it is accompanied by a poem that I wrote about my grandmother and it felt like a true connection. You know, what we're mm. after Yes. where you're using visual language and written language to tell different parts of one story or one moment. And I felt that it I, I reached that point in that work, which felt very pivotal for me. Can you, would you mind telling us a little bit about, about that piece, about the poem, about what, what, what you felt was creatively successful or interesting about it? Yeah, actually, you know, it was that project pushed me to work and think differently. So like mm-hmm. I was telling you, I've been working really hard at thinking in pictures. Mm-hmm. And normally I write first and then I figure out what is the imagery going to be? How can I bring a different angle to the story that I've already written? And in this piece, which is it's like four feet long by yeah. Eight inches tall, you know, it's a panoramic. 
Yeah. I drew the entire thing first. I did not have a story, Andy. I just, mm. I led with the imagery. I let moments and symbols kind of ruminate and come to me. And I drew yes. this scene and I wrote the poem after. And it was such a, I mean, I felt like I had just learned how to ride a bike. Like it felt yeah. so monumental to use my brain in a way that was so different from how, you know, it felt natural to me. And to know that this could be natural, I could learn to work like this. Mm. It was surprising yourself, you know, that is what I, there's no words. Like, is there a greater feeling in life than when you surprise yourself and I surprised myself? That is incredible. And I, I didn't, you know, even know kind of how, rich that was for you. But I felt that when I saw it. I, um, and I, I was just kind of blown away when I realized, oh, this is the same same person. And, and also, I think it's interesting. It gets at a few different threads that uh, I really relate to and um, I think are kind of juicy creatively. One is, uh, it reminds me of a project that I did that was really pivotal for me where I, looking back, the way I would describe it is what like a psychoanalyst calls active imagination, which is basically Mm -hmm. what you just said, which is like letting symbols and things come to you without knowing their meaning in a kind of waking dream state where you're just like letting that stuff come, but it can be through, you're just either saying it, writing it, or making art. And a really big project for me that ended up leading to some important work was where I was doing this daily with characters without really Mm -hmm. knowing what they were. And it was such a huge moment because like you, I started my creative practice through the lens of, I want to make this a career. And I, that took me some places, but I hit a wall because it, it it didn't it wasn't being led from a place of self-expression. It was being led by the market. And yeah. uh, and so yeah, I, I and I'm getting ready uh, um, I'm getting ready to enter a whole season of the show that's about taking a break from making for uh for a living or trying to make money or whatever and making both to find things within yourself and find yourself as well as learning to express yourself in a way that feels sufficient and feels powerful to you and so I was really excited to talk to you because I feel like these are all the same kinds of things that you're you play in oh yeah I've been exploring I am I'm absolutely, I could not be in more agreement. I am in a place where I'm like, listen, you've got two kids and these kids want you all the time. And they're both so small. And you know, I'm sure (laughs) we're just going to talk about this now, but you have three kids. And I am, (laughs) I would love to know how you and Sophie make it work. Like I'm in total admiration of you guys. Um, Well, I can't. And I'll Sophie, tell you this. especially, I'm like she birthed yeah. three kids. Like I can't even. I it's, can't even. It's so yeah, much. No, if you're not a parent, it's hard to even understand what happens when you have kids in that way. Yeah, but I will say <laughs> that, and this is maybe 
Um, and everybody's experience is just really different. So who, who knows? But I will say right. once we didn't have any kids under five, it quit being all consuming. And so yeah. right now we've got a 15 year old, an 11 year old and an eight year old. And okay. Sophie was primarily like, you know, the primary caregiver, um, sure. for, at, at, during those times. But even so it was really consuming every square inch that we weren't working. Um, whereas like once they're a little over five or they're all in school, it, it really felt like, oh, I didn't ever know that I would have this side of myself back. Yeah. So I definitely think that that's a pretty big factor. Yeah, that is that is good to know. Thank you for sharing. Yep. Mine are very, you know, mine are very small, three and six months. Yeah. So we are in it. And I simultaneously feel, am I going to even remember parts of myself that feel so far away right now? Like, you know, will I, will they come back when, you know, my child is five? Yeah. Or are they just like kind of gone and they need to say goodbye while I still can. Yeah. So. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I, and I, I, I love, um, I, I, I think that, uh, I've heard you talk about this in a way of making peace with not having all pieces of yourself in every season. And I think that that is just a really profound idea that is really important for, creators, you know, moving through just different phases. Um, but I wanted to talk about your new journal about, uh, building self-confidence because it sounds like it kind of is one of those things where, you know, sometimes we make a, a thing from a place of, oh, this is something I've worked through, figured out, and here's how that works. And then there are times where we create from a place of this is what I'm moving through. These are the things that are helping go your own way. Seems like, you know, based on you talking about building self-confidence, the latter of something like I made this to figure this out. Is that, do you think that's true? It's absolutely true. This is my fourth journal. And for all of them, they have always the theme that I want to write about is the one that I need at that time. Yeah. And I discovered that early with these books, you know, these books that are primarily self-help for adults, I discovered that very quickly that if it is if it is going to help anybody, it has to help me first. It has to come, it has to be written, it has to be drawn from a place of utmost honesty and vulnerability if it even has the tiniest hope of being beneficial to somebody else. Um And so go your own way. I was in my second year of grad school. I was pregnant with my second child. I was feeling, you know, I think, I don't know how other people will react upon hearing this because I know that I have a career and that I have several books out. But to me, to make a pivot and to say, you know, I'm going to kind of stop taking on the work that not only nourishes me creatively, but pays, you know, my mortgage and feeds my family. And I'm going to take the time, the years to make a bunch of crappy work with 
just hanging on the hope that one day it will take me to where I want to go, that was really frightening to me. And it still is because it's no longer just a rule um, needing to survive. You know, I've got three other people under this roof. Yeah. And not only pragmatically, you know, food, clothing, all of that, but when your work is you, when you, you know, that the art, the the writing is so necessary for my own emotional and mental survival. When all of those are combined and um you're dependent, you're dependent on your creativity for so many different things, it is extremely fearsome to say, I think I'm gonna throw it away. Yeah. And try something new. So I was in a really big place of insecurity, a really big place of, can I do it? What happens if I can't do it? Um, Who are all the people I'm disappointing, including myself? And the other part of this is that I was in grad school with a bunch of, um, my cohort is like in their early 20s, you know? They have the confidence of a 20 year old, which yeah. is unbeatable. You can't yeah. compete with that. It's just, yeah. Yeah. it I is, a, <laughs> it is such a different type of um, invincibility, you know, like you, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, but I was very aware that I did not have it. Um, and my fears were so different from theirs. And what I wanted from the program was so different from what they were searching for. And Neither was better or worse. They were just really different. And so I did feel very alone. I felt very isolated. You know, I'd go to class, I'd come home and be with my toddler and, you know, try to take care of myself um, because I was pregnant and I was writing this journal to kind of re-evaluate, rediscover, you know, I am a new person now. What are my values? What are my priorities? What do I want from my life? And do I have the guts to go after it? And if I don't, will anybody except for me care? Mm. You know, if I don't make this work, does anybody else care? And the answer for me, at least, was no. You know, nobody cares if you make children's work. No one's going to make it for you. And nobody is really going to figure out how to you know, have the space and time for you to do that. You have to do that if it's important to you, if it's what you want. And so, you know, writing this journal helped me reprioritize. It helped me discover which values that I've always held am I going to take with me moving forward, which ones aren't serving me any longer, which ones just aren't part of this new person that I am, um, and what's going to replace them. And that's that's uh, uh, really interesting in terms of it feels. I mean, it's interesting on all levels. But one of the things that stands out is it's such a different way of thinking about the stuff that you're making. Like making this journal from a place of not. I think it's easy to fall into the trap as a creator to think I will make this thing when I have the statement or the, this is the answer 
versus I need to make this thing to work this out. Like this is what I'm trying to work through. Um, And I try to encourage that in my own practice, but it's not easy. Um, But it's so interesting to hear the kind of, I'm always also interested in how the personal and the professional kind of work in tandem to hear that, you know, this shift in your own career, which I massively relate to, you know, I, I, this idea that the first part of your career, you're constantly worried, like, am I ever going to make it? And Mm -hmm. then the second you make it, you're like, am I going to lose it? Or what am I, you know, whatever it is. And can I make new decisions? And can I go, can I continue to follow the thing that led me here? Right. Uh, So I, I totally relate to that. But with this journal, is there one thing or maybe a couple things that come to mind, um, practices, exercises, questions from this uh, body of work that really made the biggest impact on you or has stuck with you until now? I think that I, I don't, it feels cliche to say this, but I think the heart of confidence is loving yourself. Yeah. And that it sounds um I don't know, it sounds cheesy, I guess, right? And it also sounds like something that can be easily dismissed. Like, of course I love myself. Yeah. But in practice, you know, loving yourself the way you love your partner or your children or your family and your friends um or the earth and animals. It's really, really hard. It's really hard not to be constantly self-critical. It's really hard um, to not cut yourself down under the guise of higher expectations or um, saying, well, I, pu- I push myself to be better, to, you know, to work harder. And to do that without kindness or without grace or without being gentle, I think that can be really hard, at least for me. And there, I yeah. can be a, a really critical, uh, tough love kind of person. Um, and I even, you know, can pride myself on being that kind of person and not always realizing that, you know, a little more kindness towards myself would go a long way. A little bit of cutting myself a little bit of slack, saying... Maybe you are doing the best you can do right now, and that's okay. I don't give that to myself, and that's something that I'm working on. And making this journal really uh, clarified for me that you've got to learn how to love yourself in practice, not just in theory, not just through words, but in practice, how to really look at yourself in the mirror and be like, I like that guy. <laughs> yeah. I think I think that person is cool. And I think that person is smart. And I think that person goes out into the world and tries to help and tries to make the world better. That's really important. And that's I think that's hard for a lot of us to do. We we put our efforts elsewhere, into other people, into the earth, you know, into our communities. But it also needs to go towards us and it needs to go towards us before it's too late. 
I couldn't agree more. In fact, um, I think in terms of creativity, that self-love manifests as self-curiosity as well. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you started out saying, well, maybe it's kind of cheesy or whatever. But what you don't know is that the story that I've been telling about kind of finding my creative voice and also reckoning like some personal relationships, talking about my mom, and I've been telling these stories and working through this stuff on stage and on the show for years. And the conclusion that I came to, uh, and I mentioned this in a small talk that um, probably only a few people have seen from last year, and it's kind of the central idea of the series that I'm doing in the new year is that you know, art is self-expression and you can't love your art if you hate the thing that's an ex- it is an expression of, which is mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. And you have to, and I think that for me, the, the big pivot in my creative practice came from shifting my worldview from mm-hmm. I am a bad thing that needs to be worked on and, you know, repressed and whatever, Mm -hmm. like squeezed into a mold of what the world wants or whatever, to really shifting to my primary, my primary foundational belief about myself is I am a good thing to cultivate, to be interested in. If you don't have that mindset, you're not going to be curious about what's inside you. You're not going to think, you're not even going to give yourself time to make stuff because why would you, if, if all the stuff in you isn't, interesting or good or, or whatever, why would you allow yourself the time to let that stuff out? You know, I I I totally, totally agree. I actually, I have two things um, to say in response. Yeah. One is that, you know, I listen to creative pep talk a lot. I love, I love this show. It's a huge Uh, honor (laughs) to be here. I think, yeah, I think you're, so grounded in the human experience, um, which is so thanks. I don't want to say nice, nice is too blase of a word. It's so refreshing. It's so, uh, it's like an embrace. You're very pragmatic. Mm. You are optimistic, but honest. You know, you say this requires work. You're going to have to do the work. Like there's no shortcut, but. If you want to, and if you're willing to put in the effort, you'll get somewhere. And I think that is what we as people, definitely, but also as creatives, like that's really, you know, all of the episodes, like finding your creative spark, finding your voice, all of these things, like it all comes down to that basic philosophy, which is if you want it and you're going to put the time and curiosity and effort into it, you're going to have it. It's inevitable. And this new work that you're talking about in the new year, which is maybe less of chasing the external, the career, the sales, the accolades, all of that, and more of chasing the internal, you know, who am I? What is important? What do I feel is important or unique about me? That is so much of what is in Go Your Own Way. And that is so much of what I'm doing right now, which is, Um, part of, you know, loving yourself is saying, you know, this is 
my voice. You know, I can look at your work and I can look at all these other artists that I admire and say, I wish I was like them. I wish I thought like them. I wish when I drew a line, it looks like that line. But learning to love yourself is about, hey, I've got my own philosophy. I've got a lens that I see the world through. And I have, um, I have values. I have opinions. I have a perspective. And I'm going to work on learning how to express that in a way that feels genuine and authentic to me. And that is my responsibility, you know, to myself and the world. Not how to figure out how to be somebody else, but how to figure out how to be me in a way that um, maybe, you know, depending on what your priority is, but like that could be in service of others through your work. Yeah. And I, uh, when it comes to the book, is there any, is there any practice or particular question or exercise that has helped you cultivate that self-love and, and self-curiosity? Um, there are a couple of prompts where I ask readers to identify thoughts that are, you know, a doubtful thought, like one that kind of uh, ingrains doubt, disappointment, second-guessing in yourself. And I ask them to counter it with an encouraging thought. How can you take the same sentiment and spin it into a way that makes you want to try and makes you believe that things could be different, that you could be different? And that is one that I find myself using in everyday life, um, primarily because I am a parent and I have to use language with my children that encourages them to do things differently. Not that makes them feel like they have to for reasons outside of themselves. It's got to be internal. Like the motivation has to be internal always. Because whatever external thing you're, you're leaning on or you're chasing, that can disappear at any moment. But if, you're, if you have a fire, if you have learned how to build and tend to the fire inside you, that will always guide you. It will always push you forward in life and definitely in your creative work. That's what's yeah. going to keep you going. Yeah, I agree completely. And I, I think a great example of that that you've already kind of covered is this notion that you know that you think in words, you know that writing is comfortable to you, but making the leap with the self-confidence and kind of uh, permission to make a picture first without the words is a great example of like um, not just buying into, oh, this is who you are. This is who you'll ever, you'll always be and allowing yourself to surprise yourself or, yeah, um, yeah like uh, that's kind of the thing that came to mind was, um, you, yeah, you've had to allow yourself to do that of, well, this will always, this idea that, oh, this making pictures will always be unnatural to you because you think in words. Right. And then you 
allowed yourself the space to prove that voice wrong and let pictures right. come to you. And it's a great right. example of kind of unpicking those those doubts um, with hope and uh, yeah, a curiosity of, well, maybe that isn't true. Let's give it a right. whirl, you know? Right, right. And also, you know, accepting that failing and like being terrible at something, like that's part of the game. Just yeah. getting comfortable with that, not giving it another thought, you know, making a crappy drawing and be like, that's a crappy drawing. I'm going to make another one now. And just kind of, I think, strengthening that resilience um, against failure or disappointment. Yeah, definitely. And it's also, I'm glad that you brought up the parenting aspect because I think it's um, uh, really powerful when you become a parent. It unlocks a different way of parenting your inner child. Like I'm really interested in, I've started just recently seeing how some of the parenting information that I consume, um, whether it's social media or, or, or writing or whatever, that, oh, these all these things apply to my inner self and, mm. you know, how I view that. And so I just instantly saw parallels there where you're doing this for your kids, but at the same time, you're realizing like, oh, yeah, that's how I should speak to the vulnerable new parts of myself. Like I thought about how I had Maggie Smith on this show and she wrote a book in the pandemic about a divorce. And I, in that conversation, we were talking about how everyone went through types of divorces in the pandemic, whether <laughs> it was marriage or with it, whatever the old life was like yeah. that happened. Yeah. And you had, um, your story I thought was, uh, really, there's a, there's a good kind of mirror with that because you had your first baby right at the start of the pandemic and everybody yeah. also had birthed new things. They found new things about themselves and new bits of their life started and those new vulnerable pieces of yourself need to be parented gently. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. Definitely. Yeah. That you, that you uh, brought it into that framework. Um, I told, I wanted to say, I feel the same way. You know, I, I read a lot of literature on parenting, how to, you know, raising siblings, things like that. And you do quickly learn that the language and the philosophies that you're using to try and parent, you know, in trying to be a good nurturing caregiver, they all, they all apply to you. And you, it's essential that you apply them to yourself. Um, maybe not first, you got to do it alongside, you know, if the kid's already there, yeah. you have yeah. to do it while you're learning how to parent, but you have to do it because if you apply it to yourself, you're changing and you're giving nourishment to the parts of yourself that can then give to your children yeah. that will be able to do so. Absolutely. Uh, the last question I have uh, is, is there a part of this uh, journal or one of your more recent books that has an aspect that you're really particularly excited about or proud of that you haven't been asked about or had a space to talk about? Oh, 
That's an interesting question. I will say I had a book of short essays come out in May called How It Feels to Find Yourself. Yeah, I, I have that. It's, it, it's great. Oh, you do? <laughs> Thank you. Um, it pairs uh, paint palettes with um, short essays. And I, I just feel particularly proud of the work because it is, to me, very unassuming. It's just a collection of, of moments throughout your life that end up being really pivotal uh, transitions and that we can feel really stuck in. You know, if I'm thinking about one that applies to me, it's like the loss of a friend. Like you were saying, through through the pandemic, we have all had divorces on very, you know, on very different levels of extreme. And I lost a couple of friends, um, whether it was through the pandemic or becoming a parent and just having a huge life shift. And I really had a difficult time with that. And I thought, surely... As somebody in my mid-30s, this isn't something that should affect me this deeply and this greatly. And I I wrote about it, and it is in the book. And when I think about this book in particular and how it is a collection of tiny moments that all add up to the human experience and that encompasses loss and joy and grief, you know, and sorrow and strain. I feel, I think I just feel gratitude for being able to experience such a wide spectrum of emotion. And in my work, I hope to help others feel comfortable experiencing the same, to not always um, place one emotion as greater or more valuable than another because we can we can learn from all of them certainly um and that's a positive way to look at it but also just to have the ability to feel all of those things um and like you touched on earlier to figure out how to pour that into your creative work i think that's what makes it special and that's what you know makes each of us so unique and special well, that, that was a great way to uh, end it. And I just want to say thanks for, you know, first and foremost, I feel like your career and your work is a testament to how effort and intention and discipline can make such a tremendous impact to your creative practice. I think your dedication over the years that you've been pursuing this have paid off in these incredible ways. And I think it really shines a light to creators who I think we often have a natural leaning towards the idea that if I'm talented enough, this should be easy and kind of come to me. And I think your practice really shows what intention and, and discipline can bring. But then on the flip side, this kind of new chapter in your life is also a, a, a great guiding light to allow yourself to also ease into what you're passionate about and take risks and trust yourself. And, uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm just 
thrilled that you got to share those things and, and those examples with the listeners. So thanks for doing this. Oh, thank you, Andy. I got to say, I, I wanted to tell you that I'm honored to be on the podcast. I genuinely listen to it all the time. Thank you. And I take Frida as my six month old and we take a walk every morning and she basically screams in a stroller like at me <laughs> for an hour yeah. while I listen to an episode and <laughs> it is so joyful. It's such a joyful experience and I think you and Sophie are wonderful and I bet your kids are pretty awesome so thank you so much for having me thank you thank you that just means a ton I'm back. I just want to say massive thanks to Mirali Patel for being on the show. Hopefully we get to talk again soon. And I want to leave you with a call to adventure, creative call to action today. And I'm calling it Flip the Script. In this episode, we talk about how there was a breakthrough for Mira when she approached a piece of work without starting with words. And so maybe you could just be mindful the next time you create something and come at the process from the opposite end. Just flip the script, flip the whole process. So if you're a musician, maybe you start with normally just, you know, word salad, mumbling a melody, and then you put lyrics to it later. What would it look like to start with lyrics and then try to make a melody out of it? It might not completely change your process. It might not be something you do ever again, but that experience for me has been helpful to getting me out of a groove that has turned into a rut or even a block. And so just give it a shot. Try to come at your creative process upside down and flip the script. You might be surprised what happens. Creative Pep Talk is your weekly podcast companion for your creative journey. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. I'm a New York Times bestselling picture bookmaker and illustrator for clients like Apple and Xbox. I pep talk teams at creative hubs like Warby Parker and Sesame Street. And I make this podcast because as someone with ADHD, it takes a whole lot of creativity just to get out of bed in the morning, let alone attempting to try to create a thriving creative practice. This show is just me sharing the things that seem to be helping me in case it helps anybody else. Shout out to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music and soundtrack. Huge thanks to Connor Jones of Pinning Beautiful for sound design and editing the show. Massive thanks to Katie Chandler, Ryan Appleton, and Sophie Miller for podcast assistance of all kinds. And thanks to you for listening. Until we speak again, stay pepped up.